Hey guys, and welcome back to Quarter Life Crisis. In this podcast, we chat about mental health in general, and we interview various people to get their own perspectives and stories. Uh, in this episode, we've got Pete back. Say hi, Pete. Good morning, all. And my best friend in the entire world, Tati, who is currently at musical theatre school. Hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am just going to ignore that slide, but it's okay. Yeah, Tassie, what challenges do you face at drama school that you wouldn't necessarily find at a regular uni for those of us that don't also go to drama school? It's definitely a very, very different training. Um, mm-hmm. It's far, well, at least the course I'm on is far more intensive. So we cram um, three years of work into two. So first and foremost, the hours are very, very different. So we have... Uh, minimum 40 contact hours a week which is kind of ridiculous at times Um, so it's definitely very mentally draining but on top of that it's also physically draining um, just from the amount of kind of exercise and dance that we do. On top of the 40 hours a week do you have a lot of other preparation that you need to do in your free time because 40 hours is already you know a full-time job. Yeah, exactly. So it's basically a nine to five at college, but then we're expected to put in time after college. So we can book studios from 5.15 until 10pm in the evening. And we're kind of expected to practice dance, singing and acting all in that time and just constant be constantly improving, really. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty tiring. <laughs> when, you, when you speak of that expectation, is it an expectation to use that entire 5.15 to 10 o'clock slots? Are we doing that stuff? Or is it just now a slot that you're expected to use? Or how does it work? The 5.15 till 10 is kind of for the entire college. So we have slots that you can time in and they're usually about half an hour slots. But yeah, if I stay in, in a college evening, I'll usually do about an hour to an hour and a half. But if you if you didn't do that, would you would you be in, not in trouble? But is it is it kind of a unspoken expectation that you will use that time to do more drama? Uh, definitely. Like if it, it definitely doesn't go unnoticed if you don't practice in the evenings it really doesn't because teachers always expect if if they if they teach you say say we do a routine in a dance class and you don't know it by the next week like you haven't improved your technique or you haven't improved your knowledge of the choreography by the time that you have another lesson with that teacher then it definitely doesn't go unnoticed so just because when I went through doing uni, obviously I'm completely at the other end of the spectrum being a history student, having yeah. done my, by, in my third year, you know, two hours of contact every other week was normal. And obviously the rest of my uni time was kind of done that. But so I would reach that 40 hours a week that you're mentioning that's contact hours, but mm-hmm. that was on my own study. If, right. if, if you were to add your own study and the kind of extra learning that you're doing in terms of that, and I assume also kind of a fitness regime that keeps you able to do your work, essentially. How many yeah. hours do you think you're committing just to kind of trying to get through drama school? God, it's difficult to say. Because, I mean, a, a big thing for us that our, my college as a whole has been struggling with is stamina. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've really, really been expected to put in like gym time and so, sort of stamina training on the side. I'd say I'd book maybe an hour, an evening, three evenings a week. And then on the weekend, I may head into college for two to three hours during Saturday and Sunday. And then also you're doing fitness and you're having to eat right. and Exactly. Yeah. So there's meal prepping and (laughs) all of that stuff that comes into it. Um, It is very all consuming. We've kind of established that you don't have any time off. Not really. 
Um, but I mean, I, I have it easy because a lot of my friends actually work alongside college, which is crazy. Like um, one of my friends, Amber, she works so, so hard um, and she has one night a week off and then all the other nights. So she works Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, sometimes does a double show on Saturday and then mm. works Sunday as well. She does front of house um, at a theatre. So she literally does not have time to breathe. So obviously it's physically very demanding from Mm -hmm. what you've told me in the past you do sort of three or four hours of dance a day but it must also be incredibly emotionally draining like how do you wind down and do you think it's enough and what what kind of support systems do you have and do you think they're enough it is yeah just to start with it is extremely emotionally demanding um, and draining I mean first and foremost some people I think overlook this you have to have an incredibly good relationship with yourself. Mm. Like that is the, for me, if I didn't have that, if I didn't know myself, understand myself and kind of love myself, I would struggle a lot on this course because you kind of have to have those foundations in order to be able to handle everything that's thrown at you. So for me, um, body image is something that I struggle with or have struggled with in the past. And having to stare at yourself in a leotard, and tights you know and critique your body for three hours every morning you know it, it can really really kind of chip away at a kind of shield you can put up what does the university or your college what do they do to either enforce body image issues or maybe they help with it or you know where do they stand with regards to how you guys look as their students and obviously their performers as well yeah um Unfortunately, the industry, especially musical theatre, I think TV and theatre are like straight theatre are becoming a lot better at this. But musical theatre is still very much stuck in the past Mm. in the sense that it is incredibly shallow. Like like recently, we just had to have a lesson where we had to stand up in front of our principal and our peers. So everyone in my year and we had to decide kind of as a team what casting we would fit into. And the two, the only two castings ultimately are the romantic interest and the quirky best friend. Mm. And we had to... For, for women? For, no, no, no. Went men and women. I assume that's very much based on the kind of the way they look rather than the ability to perform, right? Absolutely, completely. So um, unfortunately, it's just a very vain industry. And if you are overweight, you very rarely can be considered as a romantic interest, mm. um, which is something... I despise. <laughs> is that overweight by normal health NHS standards or is that overweight by archaic musical theatre standards? I'd say archaic musical theatre standards. Mm-hmm. So the average UK dress size in the UK is a 16. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. And I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, and I'd say you'd struggle if you're a size 12 yeah. in musical theatre, um, which is just obscene um and you know my my principal she is difficult because sometimes she can come across as if she's supporting this but she's actually not she's just she just she absolutely despises it but she just has to be she has to prepare you for what's out there exactly she really she has to be honest with us and just prepare us for the worst really Pete for a frame of reference on female clothing sizing I'm a size 12 oh okay I'm like an average well I, I guess I'm slimmer than average if a 16 is an average but I'm like mm-hmm. a regular girl and apparently by that standards 
I would struggle as a, a love interest. So. That's mental. Yeah. But but knowing you as I do, too, you know, you, you work out almost religiously. Well, not at the moment, but <laughs> in general, yes. No, but you, you take care of yourself and you're yeah. you know, healthy. To, and... to suggest that that was in any way overweight seems a bit, bit fucked up, to be quite honest. Right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Well, I guess it's it's like the modelling industry, you know. If, if your whole career is based off how you look, then you're judged by a much more rigorous standard than the average person and so you have to look a certain way otherwise you you won't succeed and I guess what Tati's trying to say is that her university they're not trying to enforce that they're trying to just tell it like it is to you guys because you need that mental toughness when you're out in the world and have to find jobs absolutely yeah we need work like we need to work like I can I remember one of my first conversations I had with my principal because I'm I'm in the tricky middle ground where I'm actually more, I'm almost uncastable. Like I would be more castable if I was extremely overweight or extremely slim, but because I sit in the middle, I'm actually very, very difficult to cast. Mm. And so I, very early on in my training, I had to have this conversation with my principal and she said, look, you can, you know, I admire you if you want to try and fight the system and make a stand. But she said, unfortunately, as a graduate just out of drama school, I have absolutely no power or no platform to be making demands like they'll they'll just get another girl another brunette girl in you know even if I'm more suited to the role or you know more more talented or can sing the songs better or act better you have to look the part and if you don't they're not going to waste their time on a someone who's just come out of drama school because there are a hundred other girls who could do that role how do you prepare for the kind of post post uh, training world really because I think we were discussing this Tush and I as we were prepping for this and it, it seems like you know I can come out with a degree having worked relatively hard and there there will be a job to find for me but you you have a single track you move towards you know going into the world of theatre and, and acting mm-hmm. and if you've got that kind of trouble how, how do you kind of deal with that on a daily basis when you know that the end goal is going to be that competitive and that uh, out of your control? I think you have to, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but you have to really, really love it. Like at a base level, you have to, because if you, you can't be willing to put all this effort and energy, and it is true, like we, we don't actually know what our end goal is going to be, regardless. Like I feel like it's people who have a degree can kind of take comfort in the fact that their degree can definitely get them a job. But with us, even with our training, it's not really up to us whether or not we get a job. So to kind of deal with that kind of daunting (laughs) prospect, it is difficult, but you just have to, when the good times are good, and you're kind of reminded of why you do what you do and why you love, like when we do shows or when we do performances, you just kind of revel in that feeling. So it has to feel worth it to you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Has to feel worth it. And there are times when I question that for sure, like at college, that when times are difficult or when, you know, I don't feel I'm improving or, you know, little voices in your head start saying you're not good enough and all of this. Like it it does become really, really difficult, but you just have to have kind of the mental strength and use the support system around you to kind of get through that. (laughs) How does the college prepare you for the working environment and for getting jobs and for finding an agent and for all of that? Um, So rejection kind of becomes our best friend. (laughs) Like you, our, our principal constantly 
just offhand if she's ever saying you know oh when you're out in the real real world you won't be getting leads like you probably won't get a job you probably this you probably so it's just little things like so we're just we're never expecting anything so when it does happen I think we appreciate it that much more and I think a lot of drama schools get that wrong in the sense that they enforce this confidence into their students but then they expect that they're going to get the lead roles straight out of college which is not is not realistic um so we our college kind of takes the other approach and kind of knocks us down and we 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 joke about it um and we make kind of makes a thick skin but agent wise my college is actually really successful um my current second years have already all got um agent representation and they haven't even graduated yet and yeah we have one-on-one auditions so agents come into our college after they've seen our showcase in March Mm -hmm. they they come in a couple of weeks later and we have one-on-one auditions um with a bunch of agents so they really get to know us and it's not just them watching 20 other dancers who look just like you prancing around the stage it's um a real personal kind of experience which is great do you get feedback from from those um some do some don't most don't um this is one thing actually that's a a conversation that's always going on in theater um as whether or not actors are kind of deserve feedback and to be honest not getting feedback is kind of just part of the job you know you can never I think the one thing you can't do is take stuff personally as soon as you start taking rejection personally you're kind of setting yourself up but it is personal because they might be rejecting you based on how you look or how your voice sounds or something and isn't that doesn't that feel personal? How do you separate yourself from that? Yeah, this is, it, no, it's a very good point. This is something that I really, I, I think I've kind of got it sussed is that what I struggle with most sometimes is differentiating between what is my job and what is me and my personal self. Because in when you're training in acting, so much of yourself is your job. Mm. So those lines get very, very blurred, which is something I think, that university students don't necessarily experience because you know what you're getting a degree in is so far removed from what color hair you have how tall you are like (laughs) what your dress size is you know all of this stuff um how you present yourself like it has nothing to do with that it's completely Mm -hmm. separate but for acting those things are so intertwined so i think you just have to really focus on separating your job and yourself like you you never you never fault yourself for not being right for a role because the role is is the role it's not it's not any it it, the role is not the right way to be so they probably have something in mind before they even audition anyone and if you're absolutely not definitely that's not really your fault not at all it just means you're not right for that role but that doesn't make you wrong and it doesn't make mean that you need to change parts about yourself in order to adhere Mm. to what they want and do you have a struggle because this is something that I definitely struggle with and I'm not at drama school do you think that there is a issue with being in direct competition with your kind of colleagues at drama school but then also having to support everyone through the whole process it's yeah it is difficult because something that actually my year have has struggled with a little bit is kind of an idea of superficial friendships being formed in the sense that kind of to each other's faces it's all oh I support you and love you and I want you to do the best you know I wish the best for you and but then kind of behind closed doors and perhaps at the back of people's minds there's other little Mm. thoughts going on and it has really created quite a riff 
within my year. And it, yeah, it, it is difficult for sure, because essentially these people, we will we will all be out in the industry at the same mm. time. But I'd yeah. say I, I think I'm quite lucky in my sense is my year is incredibly each and every one of us is so unique like there are so few of us that would fit into the same casting brackets yeah um and and would would kind of go for the same roles i mean we, we'd all go for the same roles but there are so few of us who would actually genuinely be considered for the same roles if that makes sense mm. yeah just just to ask because you've talked about separating your work and your personal life which makes mm. a lot of sense i try to do as well um, yeah. but then you part of your personal life is the people you're working with and competing with, if you will, at, at school. And I know you've just said that realistically you aren't competing for the same roles, but mm-hmm. does that make the kind of initial construction and building of those relationships and friendships more difficult? Because you've always got that niggle in the back of your head or having, try, having to try to separate your relationship professionally and personally with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of my friends um, take comfort in having a job because it means they have a social life outside of college because it's really difficult being friends with these people that you are training in such an intense environment with. And there is always going to be an element of competitiveness, you know. So I think the forming of the friendships at the very beginning, like the friendships have changed within my year a lot since the beginning of our training. And I think it's so difficult because I I always try and stay very far removed from letting my mind slip into oh she's doing this better than me or she sounds better than me when she sings that song Mm. um but it does happen you know if two people sing the same song there is inevitably going to be you know you're going to compare the two um and it's just something you kind of have to get over with and again it's 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 going back to kind of seeking comfort in knowing yourself and being self-aware and self-assured and not letting kind of negative little demon thoughts get in the way of that. I mean, it sounds quite an emotional up and down in terms of sometimes you've got to be quite uh, cynical and have that raise to just separate everything that you're feeling and just focusing. And on the other times, it's just ups and ups and downs, highs and lows, especially when you're going through a performance or getting those, those rejections. Is that kind of emotional turmoil something that's easy to deal with or is it something that you just kind of got to get used to I mean it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that yeah I think it's it's very different for everyone um my college is very good for talking about mental health and um we always have we have our principal is on call 24 7 and I say 24 7 I literally mean at four in the morning if you need someone to talk to she is there and also we have a counsellor permanently on call again 24 7 so you know we do have a good support system for that and there there are people at my college you know who struggle with anxiety depression you know stuff like that and they're on medication and it, it's but the the one thing that my college does very well is to talk about it mm-hmm. and to not create a stigma around it and it doesn't feel you know I think a lot of performers especially in the professional, in the actual industry, if they do, if they are struggling with depression, it's very, very difficult because you become, you you can't really talk about it because you're scared of losing your job, Mm. you know, and you're scared of not being able to perform. And so, so a lot of people don't talk about it. I'm I'm really hoping that that's going to change soon. And I, I think it is a lot of people now are talking about mental health. 
kind of openly. I have an observation. I don't know how true it is. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. But wouldn't kind of the most depressed or wouldn't wouldn't the people that struggle most with mental health problems and that have been through a lot of challenges, wouldn't they make the better actors anyway? Because then they can relate more to the challenges of the role they're trying to act as or maybe they are more able to access their feelings and and show vulnerability on the stage it is I get what you're saying but I disagree I think if you are not embracing and kind of addressing your issues like you could be the most depressed person on the planet and if you're not kind of yeah embracing that part of yourself you will never be able to perform authentically so I agree with you in the sense that a lot of acting comes from feeling it those feelings yourself you know that there are a lot of um uh, acting practitioners who specialize in you know using kind of memories um of like childhood trauma or or like channeling old emotions and then you recreate that in your performance Mm. and a lot of those practitioners say if you haven't actually felt the feeling how can you be expected to perform it truthfully and authentically um but I think that that can be really really dangerous a a dangerous road to go down because if if you're not on top of how if you're not on top of your emotions and how you're feeling in your real life, then you can't be expected to kind of successfully perform them because they'll, they'll get the better of you and you, you're, not, you're not in control of it. I think control is the most important word is you have to be, because acting is never just letting loose. Like you, there should always be an element of control of what you are doing. Mm. How do you develop that control? How do I do it? <laughs> I'm I'm someone I do quite like to use memories and then I kind of magnify the feelings that I was because like to play a character, you know, at the beginning of last year, I had to play a character who ended up murdering her own child. <laughs> and it's like, how the hell am I supposed to even begin to, you know, come relate. to terms of how, yeah, relate to that, to that character. Exactly. And for me, it was just using little parts of things that I have experienced, you know, grief or depression or feeling of isolation that I have used in my life. And then I just end up kind of magnifying them in my head, but without letting it affect my personal life. So when the door of that rehearsal room closes at the end of the day, I don't take whatever I was feeling in that room back home with Mm me. I, I keep it very, very separate. And that again is going back to the job and the personal life. So when I'm sitting at home and I'm cooking my dinner or something, I'm not still thinking about the feelings of isolation or I'm not letting my thoughts magnify um, kind of and, and run away with me. I almost envy you in that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it sounds really, really tough. And I, I can see what you're saying where you do have to have quite a lot of control over your own thoughts because... Absolutely. You have to be able to create that boundary and not everyone is strong enough to do that. I mean, how, using those emotions in, in your in your performance that you're alluding to, how does that kind of affect the way that you you, do, you kind of interact with them? Because obviously, as you say, you're, you're, you're separating them from your personal life and your work life, which is completely mm-hmm. understandable. But uh, as you're using them through your performance, et cetera, how, how does that affect the way that you, you look at them and interact with them and, and kind of understand what they do to you? 
Um, I think it can sometimes make me question. I, I feel like as an actor, you're always, always, always questioning everything, absolutely everything. Like, so things when I, for that character, I kind of delved back into quite a dark place for me, you know, when I lost my dad um, when I was 17 and I, I delved back into kind of those feelings, that feeling of grief and stuff. It, it, it did make me question kind of what, almost what was real, what was I actually feeling? And it can get quite confusing. Like, are the thoughts that I'm magnifying in my head actually reality? Like it, it can become, mm. the boundaries can kind of come, become a little bit <laughs> skewed. But I think when you're kind of getting to that point, you just, you then just have to stop and you have to kind of put a wall up and be like, it's too much now, put it to bed, have a bath. <laughs> like, just... But that relies on, on you being so self-aware that you can identify that you're falling into that hole and that you're going down that spiral. Absolutely. So, gosh, I yeah. wouldn't even know where to begin with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, a kind of, yeah, again, it, it's being self-aware, kind to yourself, confident in yourself and self-assured I'd, I'd say are the most important things for a drama student to, to have um but then it's difficult because those things are constantly being challenged and questioned and put to the test like our, our principal really she's almost out to find our Achilles heel and kind of break it a little bit so that whatever we kind of face in the industry will be absolutely nothing compared with what we dealt with at drama school but do you think that we've really emphasized the mental health point and do you think that mm -hmm. uh, a large reason of why some actors might succeed and some might fail is what exactly what we're talking about the fact that you need to be mentally tough and maybe not everyone is cut mm. out for it i mean it's a it's a horrible thought i think i don't know i can't answer that question not yet because <laughs> i, really I, don't know. I yet. would hold a different i think the kind of opinion you're beginning to allude to, to so I'd, I'd hold a different one because you look at obviously it's not a fair representation because media does not actually do any sort of journalism these days. But you look at the kind of megastar superstars that get through into the, the, the kind of performing arts, and what my observation would be, and it's kind of almost confirmed by what Tati said about at the beginning about her schedule and the kind of hours you're committed to do. You're kind of working so hard and constantly working there's no real days off that you kind of don't have the chance to actually assess your emotions so you you get you get through it by not really having that moment that Tati clearly does where she goes you know what no this is getting too emotionally intense it's not healthy I need to take a step back which I think is very admirable but you look at the kind of um people who are perhaps most successful I mean just because it's relevant at the moment you just look what's happened to poor Demi Lovato she's kind of yeah. she's always quite publicly struggled with mm. mental health issues and body image issues and she's she's relapsed again i think part of that is just because she you can you can kind of hide away behind quite a busy schedule to continue to be successful because you've got the talent but then it kind of, kind of comes around with these high emotions of if you do have a moment to think you've not developed the ability like tatty seems to have done and i, I have to say, i have to kind of comment when i've got the force like that i'm very very overwhelmed and impressed by the way that you're, you're kind of clearly got quite a s sound structure in place um, yeah. not everyone is able to do that yeah um and you can clearly see that because some some of the most famous people just rely on substances and rely on kind of outbursts of of mental or i hate using the word mental breakdown but it's, it's essentially what it is they're just 
they break at some point. Yeah, no, but that's exactly it. They haven't set up the foundations to deal with that stuff, you know, and, and a lot of this, I think this kind of segues into child stars, you know, I'm because they've been, they've had to deal with this kind of schedule and this kind of world from such a young age that they actually haven't had the time and life experience to grow and learn about themselves and learn how to deal with their own struggle. Mm. They're just sort of thrown into this world just expected to keep up with it because you know any the performing arts world is fast moving like it is it it doesn't stop the music industry the theater world film like you know and then alongside that you've got fame which just means you never have time for yourself because privacy just goes out the window so I think these people they don't they haven't set up the right foundations in order to when things do get too much one they don't know how to acknowledge it they don't they're not actually aware and they can't kind of see the red flags and the signals and stuff two they their only way to deal with it is to seek escapism and so drugs alcohol partying surrounding themselves with people who they think are their friends and to try and escape from it instead of sitting back addressing it and then and kind of regrouping and then moving on and then so i have a question for you then who is it down to to change this cycle because clearly it's toxic because the the nature of not having a day off is that eventually all of that energy that you've been using and all of that mental strength that you've been using is going to catch up mm-hmm. with you at some point. And that's why you see so many actors and actresses down the line have it, having to take time off or having huge breakdowns mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and taking drugs or whatever. So how do you see that changing, if at all, and whose responsibility is it to change that and how? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um I think is it down to the, is it down to the individual actors to to kind of force themselves not to be go 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 all the time so but but then you're saying that but no yeah you've got to keep up with the industry so I think it's a very fine line I think again going back I think an actor in like an actor's little toolkit like and a big part of that should be the ability to acknowledge Mm. when you may be spiraling a little bit and just getting to you know you're not leading the momentum of the industry you're not keeping up with it but the momentum of the industry is actually dragging you along and you're you're not kind of on top of things I think an ability mm. to be aware when that is happening is very important just because just around the research I was doing just before we popped on to do this it would seem mm. like the industry is the, like i understand what you're saying that there's some responsibility on the individual i'm always for mm-hmm. that kind of responsibility but mm-hmm. we're speaking about an industry where anxiety is 10 times higher for individuals yeah. in it than it is in the general population five times higher five times more people have depression in the kind of performing arts industry than yeah. do in the general population and yet you also have an industry that kind of tries to portray itself as presenting an, an escapism. You, you type in mental health drama into Google, you, you mm-hmm. find the article I found about that gave me that sat there, but you also find, oh, man, drama helped me escape, drama helped me do this. It seems almost hypocritical. Mm-hmm. And if one was to be cynical, you'd say mm-hmm. that the, the industry tries to portray itself as something that is an escape and is positive for mental health yeah. and then creates a kind of environment where your mental health is is circumstance you're almost just a Secondary, piece of meat yeah. you're just you just yeah. fodder for for the 
production that they're happening to want to make that day. I think they're definitely, I mean, as much, yeah, I think the industry, uh, sorry, the individual should be as prepared as possible, but the real thing at fault, I think, is the industry. I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's such a balance between mm. the individual kind of being able to cope with it, but then equally the industry and the people kind of high up in it need to start leading the kind of I don't know so do you think it's down to people like Demi Lovato to be honest about their own experiences I I I admire her for speaking out and for letting it known to the world what Mm -hmm. she's going through but then where does that how Mm -hmm. does that translate into change yeah I I admire her as well I really do um but then I sometimes think, how much is you talking about it making you think that you're actually dealing with it? Mm. So I, I, I sometimes think that people who just openly talk about it all the time are actually doing themselves a disservice because they're evading it in an, not, in an ironic kind of they're way. They're not like reflecting internally because they're just saying it all out loud. Yeah, completely. Um, and I think a lot of... I, I do find this with some people at my college. Um, although we speak very, very openly about mental health, sometimes people kind of speaking about it think that that's the end of the battle and there's no there's no more self-care that needs to go on other than just mm. being open about it. And, you know, I, I, I sometimes think that, again, it's kind of another form of escapism, that if if you're just constantly talking about it and saying, oh, I'm on top of it and there needs to be awareness brought to this and which I'm not in no way am I belittling people who do that. I think it's incredibly brave Um, because, you know, there's this whole stigma that like if you break your arm, you know, you go to a doctor and you sort it out and you get a cast on and you fix it. But if there's ever a mental issue going on, for some reason, everyone Mm. freaks out and, and because it can't necessarily be seen physically on the body. Mm. you know sometimes it's not given the same amount of attention and care that it's needed so I, I do think that speaking about it and raising awareness is incredibly important but it's often not the individual who's in such a dark place and who is experiencing mm. it so heavily it's often not their responsibility it's the people around them I think it's 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 almost people who are well, well, maybe maybe the people that are in the dark place aren't capable of seeking help for themselves because of the state that they're in. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the, one of the things that I really advocate for, and one of the things that I will do for my future kids one day, is allow them to take like mental health days off because I think that often people mm-hmm. take sick days if they've got the flu or something. And Mm -hmm. no one emphasizes the fact that sometimes we need to just shut down our brains for a day. And I suppose one of the struggles that you must face in the industry that you're in or that you will be in is that if you take a day Mm -hmm. off, uh, especially if you're a leading Mm -hmm. role, then, you know, it, it, it breaks down everything that you're doing and maybe they can't go on without you you know there's mm-hmm. a lot more relying on you to be there mm-hmm. 
then right it's whereas pressure. if I yeah, have yeah. an office job then it's probably not going to make that much of a difference if I'm there or not for one or two days do you think that that perpetuates the the kind of pressure on the actors to always be on point and always look good and never show vulnerability I think at the end of the day mm. you have a job to do and again I think this goes back to separating personal life and your job and the the two hours, if you have a show to do and you are struggling in your personal life, you really, can't. really struggling, you kind of just can't. <laughs> you, you, you have to, you know, we always talk about don't, and this is, again, something my year have struggled with, is bringing outside kind of drama or your outside life into the rehearsal room. And there, there is no space and there is no room for almost your, your kind of personal struggles within a um, rehearsal environment and within a training environment, which I, I say that with hesitation because it, it it's kind of brutal. And then it, all it does is perpetuate people not addressing um, issues and having to kind of soldier on. And that can never, that never, you know, it, it may, it may work in the short term, but in the long term that solves absolutely nothing. But if you have a job to do for the two hours of that show, you just have to do it. And you have to go on stage and you have to just do what you've been trained to do. And then you come away and then you can kind of reassess. Um, but also, it, 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 I think it's up to you that if you feel you're getting to that stage, address it before you get to that breaking point. Mm. You know, if you get to a point where you feel like you cannot go on stage and you cannot do your job, if people haven't been taught and people haven't been haven't become used to seeing the red flags and, and, and becoming to terms with their emotions and being self-aware so that they can prevent that breakdown and reaching, they can prevent the reaching of that kind of breakdown point. Mm. But you mentioned, like, I obviously get what you're saying in terms of for that two hours, you're, you've got a job to do, you do it and that's fine. I mean, I can slightly relate to that because I'm in the professional world right now as well. But the mm -hmm. pressure I don't have is that, I I'm not I'm not a recruitment professional while I'm interacting on social media. I'm just someone who has a job. And you look at modern mm -hmm. society in the way that promotion works, in the way that one creates and I hate this word, but it's, I think in this part of the world most most relevant, creates a brand. And mm -hmm. surely yeah. what you have in, in terms of trying to really promote one's career is that that kind of mm -hmm. interaction with social media is hugely important and that is yeah. part of your job as well and that's yes, something absolutely. that's different you can't switch that off I mean you can't you can you can do it but you know you know what I mean it's this is it is part of your job to kind of do that is that is that a fair reflection or is that am I just making assumptions I guess your product is yourself completely yeah and then this is again where it becomes difficult to differentiate between personal and job because your brand is yourself like as soon as I joined drama school I had to get Twitter because nowadays so many people are being cast you know if you have two girls they look the same they're both the same talent they both could get the role and one of them has you know a million followers on Twitter and one of them has a hundred <laughs> they're going to go with the person who's got more followers um mm. it's social media really? is, yeah absolutely social media is such a huge part now of casting as well and a, a social like media Tanya presence Burr. yeah completely just like Tanya Burr Pete for you probably don't know who Tanya Burr is but basically she's this YouTuber 
who has a few million subscribers on YouTube, and she was recently cast um, as the leading role in a production in central London. I, I don't know. The, the Southwark Playhouse. There you go. And um, she's been heavily criticised, and so have the casters, for, I guess, maybe casting her on her following basis and her marketing potential as opposed to necessarily her talent. Now, I can't speak for her talent. I've not seen her act, nor do I watch her YouTube videos, but that's sort of been the, the debate, yeah. Controversy at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it, it seems a bit... Yeah. I can understand where, you, just to kind of play the objective view here, you, you can understand what they're trying to do in terms of leveraging that following into kind of mm. promoting a playhouse that is, you know, not the most famous in the world and then going through it like that. But at the same time, it kind of doesn't seem justified um but i think just to be the the man here we, we've touched a lot on, on, on your, your own issues and talking about that and it's been a very female-centered con- conversation obviously um uh, do you well, how does it affect the men because i think what can often happen you talk about image body image issues and all that kind of thing and that is mm-hmm. absolutely something that needs to be dealt with i think when you add the element of masculinity mm-hmm. or or the gender of being male rather than masculinity, body image issues take a slightly uh, different turn as well because you also have, I think it is why we talk about stigma in mental health and I think there is less stigma over the fact that women can feel um, issues with their body images. Um, but I think um, less so is it acceptable for men to have those kind of body image issues but that seems to be quite uh, a driving factor to mental health problems in the industry do you do you have any kind of male friends that can mm. that you've seen struggle with this kind of stuff oh absolutely um I mean my college <laughs> we've got a very very um poor kind of male female divide in the sense that women kind of run the school <laughs> we've got uh, there are only four boys at my college out of 36 students so you know, we, we've only got four lads, but um, there is absolutely the same amount of pressures that the women feel that guys feel as well. You know, it's, it's the, again, it's going back to the romantic interest or the quirky best friend vibe um, and is equally the same slim and muscly compared with, you know, um, the larger, possibly overweight kind of battle. Um, there's, exactly the same amount of pressure for the guys to have six packs and be absolutely you know not just in shape but really quite muscly like <laughs> I'd say there's girls can kind of because I'd say arguably the female body is just harder to get that kind of physique but for for men they have to be so muscly um and really visibly muscly not just that you know you can have the strongest guy but he necessarily doesn't have a six pack but if the the six pack look is so sought after again in the musical theater industry so they go through exactly the same um issues that the girls go through i want to play mm-hmm. devil's advocate um so at your drama school mm-hmm. you only have four boys yeah. out of 36 is that a reflection of the demographic of people that go into musical theatre? Because obviously it perhaps might be seen as a more feminine industry than strict drama or like movie acting. And as a result of that, if if it is kind of, if there are fewer mm-hmm. boys than girls, 
then doesn't that make it slightly easier for the boys? Because then there's going to be fewer people going for the same role and maybe the competition isn't as, um, as large. I can't answer that from an educated point of view, but I would say from my point of view, yes. <laughs> I think guys, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are statistics that someone would clap back at this with, but um, I, I, you know, you do hear about if if accredited drama schools don't necessarily have enough boys for that year, they will be offering boys scholarships and all of this just because there is there is a more of a need for men in musical theatre just because girls are so attracted by it and guys not so much because there there is that stigma of you know not being allowed to be seen exactly i i hate it and you know there's the whole what's the word i'm looking for cliche of of um that musical theatre is just for gays and like all of that and I think it's it's also it's um kind of relates to men addressing their emotions because to be an actor you have to be so vulnerable and so honest with yourself and you have to talk about emotions and you have to feel emotions and again you know this goes back to the issue that men don't necessarily have the same sort of ability to to feel safe to be vulnerable emotionally and to talk about mm. being emotional and I think sometimes some of the best actors can have what we would call feminine traits because and the only reason they're feminine is because there's been that link between being sensitive and being aware of your emotions and able to kind of express them successfully and women there's that link and men haven't been able to feel safe to do that so I'd, I'd definitely say that men kind of steer clear of musical theatre because of this this stigma um do they steer clear obviously they they have there are less people there but is it just musical theatre in general that is lacking males or is it the theatre more generally obviously your, your school doesn't have a lot a lot of guys in it but is that the kind of industry-wide accepted problem or is it just with musical theatre that's the case I'd say I'd say just with musical theatre I think straight theatre is a little bit different because straight theatre there's a lot of male roles you know women, women almost have and a tougher it, and time it's serious. and it's serious exactly and it's manly <laughs> and <laughs> you know all that ridiculousness <laughs> You know, you just have to look at kind of Shakespeare and, you know, female, strong female roles are few and far between. And for for my year, there's 16 girls and one guy. And at the moment we're doing Shakespeare this term in acting and we've all had to cho choose monologues, you know, and the girls, we've all managed to pick a monologue, um, you know, that, that we feel. But w the one thing we all wanted was a strong female monologue that wasn't talking about love. Oh, my God. You know, and it's, it's hard to find. It's, it's Shakespeare just you know, all the male, all the males get all the good, all, all the good <laughs> monologues in Shakespeare. You know, one of my friends, Emma, she's doing Iago from Othello. Mm. And, you know, I was looking at um, Malvolio, um, but recently it was done at the National West Malvolio and it was played by a woman, you know, mm. and I was looking at that for one of my monologues and stuff. So, you know, in theatre, um, gender swapping is very much going on, which I think is great. Um, 
really really great and you know the, the it's happening in musical theater as well in um september i think there's um steven sondheim's company is coming to the national and rosalie craig is playing the lead and that's originally supposed to be a male role but they've completely gender swapped all of the roles within the entire show so i'm so excited to see how that kind of pans out um this could go on for hours so maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should wrap it up while we have a bit of a pause but thank you so much for coming on i hope it was interesting for you and it was definitely interesting for me and i'm not sure about you pete no it's been hugely fascinating insight i think develop a lot of respect for the way that you kind of a have to deal with that and b the way that you deal with that it sounds like you've got quite a good system on the go and it sounds like yeah <laughs> better handle on it than most so kudos to you for that uh, but yeah as as you're signing off before we forget don't forget to subscribe to our various social media st- stuff listeners if you've gotten this far you clearly don't mind us so twitter <laughs> facebook um youtube even uh, and then we're on castbox castbox and itunes aren't we tish yeah and i believe that on all social media platforms including instagram which i think you missed out uh, our handle is always QLC Radio. Um, so yeah, it should be fairly easy to find. And for the time being, the cover art just features uh, animation of me, but soon it will include Pete. Uh, you know, bring some of the the handsome into it. Right? <laughs> and make sure to like if you do enjoy it, uh, please like, share, subscribe, rate all those social media buzzwords, so we can kind of get some traction on this and kind of get it to a wider audience. Sure, and also email us at qlcradio at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for future content or future guests even. Um, But thank you very much, Tats. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so great. (laughs) Thanks, Tati. And, yeah, thank you very much, and see you next time.